a wonderful song as we think about uh, the names of Jesus and uh, focusing on his identity and answering for that question for ourselves. Uh, it's Jesus, and he is indeed Lord of all. I want to encourage you to open your Bible with me to Mark chapter 11 this morning. Mark 11 will be in the first 11 verses of this chapter. Mark 11, 1 through 11. You know, everyone loves a parade. There's something about parades, the sights and the sounds and the excitement that accompanies a parade. And typically a parade is, is held on a special occasion, on a holiday or something to that effect. And it just adds an extra a bit of, of special memories, special feelings to the event. But, you know, sometimes mishaps can occur in parades. No matter how much we try to plan and try to... Uh, uh, prevent those things from happening. So one of the most famous parades, of, of course, is the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. It's been going on for uh, for almost 100 years now, and, and uh, there's been some mishaps throughout the years regarding the hot air balloons that they have. Back in the 1950s, Popeye the Sailor, uh, his balloon got so filled with rainwater that it tipped forward and dumped hundreds of gallons of water on parade watchers. Uh, throughout the years, there's been, for example, uh, Buzz Lightyear, uh, SpongeBob SquarePants, uh, and some others, balloons that have come through and have gotten uh, ripped and torn and, and deflated along the parade route. Well, back in 1997, the Cat in a Hat balloon hit a lamppost and crashed, and it injured a woman. And she sued Macy's, and she sued New York City for $395 million dollars. Uh, everybody loves a parade, especially if you can come away from it a multi-millionaire. Mishaps do happen. In today's passage, we look at a famous parade that was known and has been known as the Triumphal Entry. And in some ways, this name is a misleading name. On the surface, it looked like a wonderful parade, a, a, a royal procession. But as we dig a little deeper, we're going to see that, indeed, this was more of a charade than it was a true parade. The lesson for us today is that we should not be satisfied with an incomplete understanding of Jesus, nor of an insufficient devotion to Jesus. Our knowledge of Jesus needs to continually be growing, and so does our devotion to Jesus as well. I want to invite you to stand if you're able this morning. If we read the Word of God with reverence, Mark chapter 11, starting at verse 1, and Mark writes these following words under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. As they approached Jerusalem at Bethphage and Bethany near the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately, as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, on which no one has yet ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone says to you, Why are you doing this? You say, The Lord has need of it. And immediately he will send it back here. They went away and found a colt tied at the door, untied it in the street, outside in the street, and they untied it. Some of the bystanders were saying to them, what are you doing untying the colt? They spoke to them just as Jesus had told them, and they gave them permission. They brought the colt to Jesus and put their coats on it, and he sat on it. 
And many spread their coats in the road, and others spread leafy branches, which they had cut from the fields. Those who went in front and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. Jesus entered Jerusalem and came into the temple. And after looking around at everything, he left for Bethany with the twelve, since it was already late. Let's pray together. Father, we come to your word today with a deep sense of reverence, a sense of submission, God, that the truth that is found therein, Lord, that it might not only give us knowledge, but also transform our lives as we serve you. Father, help us to have a deeper understanding of the identity and the mission of Jesus Christ. And Father, let that knowledge lead us to a deeper devotion to Jesus Christ. And Lord, if there be one here today that has never trusted in Christ, has never taken that initial step of acknowledging Him as Lord, acknowledging Him as Savior, I pray, God, You would reveal to that person this morning their need for forgiveness and that Jesus Christ is the only way to have peace with You. Holy Spirit, speak to all of our hearts. Instruct us. Transform us to the image of Jesus. It's in His name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Over the past several months, we've been working our way through Mark's Gospel, and it's been building uh, to this section that we have arrived at this morning. There are 16 chapters in Mark, and almost one-third, actually a little bit over one-third of Mark's Gospel is devoted to the last seven days of Jesus' life here on earth. It's referred to what we call Passion Week, where passion comes from Latin, means suffering. So as you think about the passion of Christ, you think about the suffering of Christ. Passion Week, Holy Week, uh, the last week of Jesus. And so Mark's Gospel, almost, almost uh, a third, a little over a third of it, is devoted to just seven days. And as we study Scripture, we have come to understand that when we find a, a disordinate uh, proportion devoted to something the author is trying to get our attention and it's a matter of emphasis anytime we see a lot of space devoted to one topic the author is really trying to emphasize that and so Mark's gospel sometimes has been said is a is a passion narrative with a very long introduction Mark's gospel was really the whole way has been driving to this point and now we have arrived and we're going to see the passion of Jesus unfold. These chapters also fall on the heels of a lengthy section on discipleship. Remember we've looked at the end of chapter 8 all the way through chapter 10. The, the, uh, the focus there has been discipleship. What it means to follow Jesus, what it takes to become a follower of Jesus, and what it means to be a fully devoted follower of Jesus. And Jesus has been instructing his disciples that the cross was coming, and because Jesus was going to the cross as a suffering servant, there are implications for us as we seek to follow Jesus and become like Jesus. We see what he has done through his cross. And we seek to become more like him in the way we humble ourselves and serve others. So Jesus has, on three occasions, told his disciples that this week was coming. 
And now we have arrived at this week, beginning in chapter 11. And if our goal this morning is to have a more complete understanding of Jesus and a a sufficient devotion to Jesus, there are three things, according to this passage, that we need to understand. First of all, Jesus demands your total allegiance. Your allegiance. In other words, not occasional obedience. He wants you to obey Him at all times and in every way. Whatever it is He calls you to do. For example, in the first three verses, we see a strange request is made by Jesus to his disciples. A strange request. It says, as they approach Jerusalem, this has been where he has been heading in these last few chapters, on route to Jerusalem, on route to the cross. It says, there at Bethphage and Bethany, near the Mount of Olives. It's important for us to remember, according to the Old Testament, the Mount of Olives is associated with the Messiah. So as Mark points this out, he is reminding his readers, reminding us that Jesus, on route to Jerusalem, was doing this in his ministry, his role as the Messiah, the chosen king, the savior of mankind. As he came near the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples. Now, how many disciples did Jesus have at this point? There was 12. Yet he gave a specific task to two specific disciples. That shows us sometimes Jesus calls us to do specific tasks that he doesn't call anybody else to do. The question is, are we going to do specifically what the Master is requiring of us to do? And even if it's a strange request, we need to obey Jesus no matter what. His disciples were given a specific task here. A little bit of a strange request. The question was going to be, are they going to follow through with the Master's orders? Verse 2, he said to them, Go into the village opposite you and immediately, immediately do these things. And when we obey Jesus, we, we need to obey Him with a sense of urgency. In other words, don't dawdle. Anybody ever dawdle? Anybody ever drag their feet? Anybody ever meander? That's a word we use in our household a lot. It's usually found in the context of going to Walmart. You know, we tend to dawdle sometimes. And not me. I like to get in and get out. I like to focus, and I've got a sense of urgency about my task. But not everybody shares that same sense of urgency when we go to the Walmart. But his disciples were told immediately, when you go in there, do this. As you enter, you will find a colt tied there. You know, nothing unusual, a beast of burden. And the other gospel writers tell us it was a donkey. You'll find a colt tied there, which no one has ever sat. And the importance of this is it's a, a animal, a beast of burden that's never been ridden before, is found to be more uh, appropriate, more uh, uh, and conducive with sacrifice or with uh, religious uh, connotations. Uh, that No one has ever ridden it. And so he says, you'll find it there, and it's tied up. He says, untie it and bring it here. Okay. And if anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Your response needs to be, the Lord has need of it. So Jesus gave them a specific job, and he gave them a specific message. Here's what I want you to do, and here's what I want you to say. I want you to do this immediately. Don't deviate from the task. Don't deviate from the message. Say this, and it'll all be okay. 
Say to them, the Lord has need of it. Now, who is the Lord? Some people say, well, maybe it's a reference to the owner of the donkey, the, the master, of the, the owner of the donkey. But I believe Jesus is using this in reference to himself. He is the Lord. He is the Lord of all, even the Lord of the donkey. The Lord has need of it, and immediately he'll send it back. When he's done with it, he will return it. Now, it's a little bit of a strange request. And the disciples are given specific instructions. Now, the big debate amongst people as they read this passage is this. How did Jesus know the cult was going to be there? You know, some people say it's a, a testament to his omniscience, that he is omniscient, he is God in the flesh, he, he knows all things. So he knew in advance that it would be there. Other people say perhaps he arranged it because Jesus sought to fulfill the Old Testament scriptures, namely in Zechariah that says, Behold, your king is coming riding on a donkey. Now, either which way, I believe either it's a testament to his omniscience or that Jesus saw himself as the Messiah, as the Son of God, and so chose to fulfill the scripture and prearranged to enter Jerusalem this way to fulfill the words of the prophet. Either way, it's Jesus is the Messiah, is it not? As the Messiah, he knows all things. As the Messiah, he is going to fulfill his assignments that the Father has given him. Mark does not indicate one way or the other, but either way, he is God in the flesh with a specific assignment to do. He gave a strange request to the disciples, and in verse 4 we see a submissive response. They did the right thing. They obeyed the words of Jesus. It says they went away, they found a colt tied at the door outside in the street, and they untied it. When you read that, it, it sounds so simplistic, but I can't help but put myself in the shoes of those two disciples thinking, I wonder what's going to happen. <laughs> you know, here's this colt. It doesn't belong to us. We don't know the owners. And we're just going to walk up to this random colt and untie it and take it think they were a little bit scared perhaps but their their fear of the situation was overcome by their fear of the Lord they had a greater reverence for Jesus and his commands than they did for the possible circumstances that might come it's a good lesson for us isn't it as followers of Jesus he tells us to do something, and sometimes he calls us to do things that stretches us, puts us outside our comfort zone. And I can't help but think the disciples were thinking the whole time, I hope nobody sees us, I hope nobody sees us, I hope nobody sees us. Oh, man, somebody saw us. But their goal was to be faithful, and that should be our goal as well. There was a submissive response followed by a skeptical reaction, as we could imagine. Verse 5 shows us some of the bystanders were saying to them, What are you doing untying the colt? And I can't help but think it was probably a little more uh, harsh than, hey, what are you doing? What do you think you're doing? Is that colt yours? No, it's not yours. You have no right to untie that colt. What are you doing with that colt? You see, the folks at that point did not understand that these guys were on a mission from God. They just saw it perhaps as some colt wranglers in town. And we all know what happens to colt wranglers. It's these bystanders demonstrate for us that sometimes people don't quite understand the assignment that God has given us. Sometimes people are a little bit skeptical. Others not certain. Because after all, it is our calling 
our assignment, not theirs. But we can't let that hinder us from doing what God has called us to do. A skeptical reaction. And then we see a startling result in verse 6. The disciples are thinking, I hope nobody sees us. Oh, somebody saw us. They're calling us out. What do we do at this point? Oh, yeah, Jesus told us to say something very specific. Let's say what Jesus taught us to say in verse 6. It says, they spoke to them just as Jesus had told them. Good for them. They did what Jesus told them to do. They said what Jesus told them to say. And then lo and behold, some amazing things happen. And says, they spoke to them just as Jesus told them, and they gave them permission. Wow, you mean it was that? All we had to say was the Lord has need of it. He'll return it back when he's done. And the people were cool with it. Which leads some to believe that it was a prearranged thing. Or maybe it was Jesus exercising his authority over the situation. Either way, his goal was to prove himself as the Messiah through entering Jerusalem on this donkey. You know, sometimes you watch the movies and you see the police chasing a bad guy and the bad guy's getting away and, and lo and behold, the guy comes out and, and flashes a badge and stops the car and tells the person, you know, this is official police business, get out, and they typically pull them out of the vehicle and jump in and start chasing the bad guy. You know, I don't know the law, how legal that is or not. But I do know this, the King of kings and the Lord of lords has every right to commandeer any form of transportation he so desires. And we see this in this situation. Jesus, as Lord of all creation, decides he is going to enter Jerusalem as the humble king coming to serve his people. And we see that he demands our total allegiance. The disciples, they followed his commands and things, lo and behold, worked out right. Sometimes Jesus might lay something on your heart. Want you to do a specific ministry. Want you to go and, and witness to a specific individual. And sometimes it might be a scary situation. You say, Lord, I can't believe you want me to do that. I can't do it. But Jesus said, here's what I want you to do. Here's what I want you to say. And simple obedience is expected of you as a follower of Christ. Jesus demands your allegiance. But also Jesus deserves your affection. Your total affection. Not occasional enthusiasm. Not I will, I will love the Lord and, and I will praise and worship Him when the time is right. When all is convenient for me. When it doesn't interfere with my agenda, then okay, I'll, I will praise Him, I will glorify Him. But when it doesn't fit my purpose, or when it's not convenient for me, then I'm going to do what I want to do. No, Jesus deserves your total affection. Why is that? First of all, He is the majestic King. The majestic King. King, verse 7, it says, They brought the colt to Jesus. Remember, the colt that had never been ridden before, proper for sacred use. They brought the king to Jesus, and they put their garments, uh, a makeshift saddle, and he sat on it. Now, nobody ever, has ever ridden this colt before. But yet Jesus comes and sits on it, has perfect mastery over this beast. Why? He created this animal and he sat on it verse 8 they spread their coats in the road 
spread leafy branches which they had taken from the fields. John's Gospel tells us there's, these are palm branches. That's where we get the name Palm Sunday from. The palm leaf was a, a, a nationalistic symbol of Israel. This was a patriotic move on the parts of these people spread the leafy branches they had taken from the fields and Jesus entered Jerusalem in this way. This was very much a royal procession. This was the king entering into Jerusalem. And by the way, everywhere that Jesus has gone in the Gospels, he's either walked or he's ridden in a boat. This is the first occasion we read of Jesus riding in on an animal. Um... And the reason why Jesus was riding because he saw himself as the royal king. This was a royal procession. On, on his part, he was fulfilling his role as the Messiah. Whether or not the people understood it or not, the story unfolds the rest of the way. He is the majestic king. He is the merciful king. Verse 9 says, Those who were in front and those who followed, so everybody, the entire a throng of, of people, the whole crowd there says they were shouting Hosanna, Hosanna, which is a prayer that says, Save now, I pray. Save, I pray. It's a prayer of deliverance. They were shouting, Lord, save, Lord, save us, we pray. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now, this was a, a typical in some ways, a, a pilgrimage into the holy city during the time of Passover. Thousands and thousands of people would come to Jerusalem, descending upon or ascending, going up to Jerusalem for the Passover. And as pilgrims would come to Jerusalem, many would sing the Psalms, specific, specifically the Psalms of Ascent that are found in the book of Psalms. And this is from Psalm 118, is a pilgrim psalm. As they are journeying to Jerusalem, Hosanna, Lord save. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, coming in the name of our God. And that's what Jesus was doing. They were saying, save, I pray. And Jesus was coming to do what? To save. Save how? Well, the king is going to come in and he is going to conquer. He's going to conquer the Romans for us. He's going to liberate those who are in political bondage. He will overthrow our oppressors. He will make sure we've got plenty to eat. He will make sure we've got shoes on our feet. He will make sure that we live in comfort and freedom. Hosanna, God, save us from our enemies here on earth. Blessed is he who comes to, to do these things in the name of the Lord. That was their desire. That was their expectation of Jesus. But Jesus didn't come to conquer the earthly enemy. He came to conquer the spiritual enemy. And he came to do that through his death on the cross. That the king knew that there was no other way for his people to be saved. Therefore, he to lay down his life as a sacrifice for their sins. Was that what they expected? Was that what the crowd wanted him to do? Doesn't matter. That's what his mission was to do. He's the merciful king. He has come to save, to do what only he could do. 
He is the Messiah King, the Messiah. Verse 10, blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Now the Old Testament shows us the Messiah is to be the son of David, a descendant of David, which Jesus clearly was from both sides, from Mary's side and Joseph's side the son of David. But notice the crowd is, is calling for the kingdom of David, which in some ways is a, is a call for the Messiah. But there's a little bit of confusion there. They were thinking Jesus was going to come to restore the kingdom of David, but what did Jesus come to do? What was Jesus preaching throughout his ministry? The coming of the kingdom of God. An even greater kingdom, an even more majestic kingdom a heavenly kingdom the Messiah had come to bring. He was the Messiah, the son of David, but his kingdom was even greater than David's kingdom. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David, Hosanna in the highest, the coming king. It's important for us to remember how Jesus saw himself as the Messiah and how he chose intentionally to enter Jerusalem. I saw somebody on Facebook this week post a picture of a church sign and it read, I'm placing my bet on the man riding the donkey. <laughs> and just in time for the Kentucky Derby and, and all these things, I'm, place, I'm placing my bet on the man riding the donkey. Normally when you place a bet, you typically place your bet on, on the horse, don't you? On the stallion. Placing my bet on the man riding the donkey, specifically the king. He came into Jerusalem as a humble servant. He came into Jerusalem to die for the sins of mankind. But the crowd didn't quite understand that yet. Even the disciples up to this point, their understanding of Jesus was still growing and still increasing. And Jesus progressively revealed who he was and what he had come to do. In Mark, we refer to that as the Mark in secret. Jesus knew who he was. But he chose to keep that in secret till the time was right to reveal himself. The crowds didn't quite understand that. The question we have to ask ourselves is, who do we see Jesus to be? What do we, what do we believe Jesus came to do? He came into Jerusalem riding a donkey, a humble servant. But when he comes back the next time, he's going to be riding the white horse the war horse he's coming next time not to be a humble servant and to die he is coming the next time to conquer as the king of kings and the lord of lords he deserves your total affection because he is the king he is the messiah he is the one who will come to judge and the issue is whether or not you are choosing to submit yourself to the authority of the king, giving him your total affection, not just an occasional enthusiasm, as we see in this crowd, a mistaken idea of who Jesus was and a partial devotion. Why do we believe it was a partial devotion? Because these people, according to the next verse, disappeared. They left. Why did they leave? Well, notice where Jesus goes in verse 11. And it's a lesson for us that Jesus detects your authenticity. 
He desires your total authenticity. Not externally only, not occasionally, but He detects and He desires your authentic worship of Him. Verse 11 shows us, first of all, the Lord's incarnation. It says, Jesus. All throughout Mark's Gospel, He has been showing us, revealing to us, to His disciples, Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is the Word of God who took on flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus entered Jerusalem, the city of God, and He came into the temple. What was a temple? The temple was the place of God's presence with His people. The dwelling place of God, the house of God. It was also a place where sacrifice was made to redeem the people of God. So here we have the Son of God coming into the city of God, entering into the house of God as the Lamb of God. And why did the crowds disperse? I believe because Jesus came to Jerusalem and instead of going to the palace to, to claim the throne, He came to the temple. A sign of His understanding that He came to be the sacrifice. The presence of God was with the people of God as the Lamb of God. The Lord's incarnation because Jesus is God. He deserves authentic worship. Then in verse 11 it continues and it says, Jesus entered Jerusalem. He came into the temple and after looking around at everything, we see the Lord's inspection. His inspection. He was looking around and He was observing the activity. And we need to ask ourselves, was He pleased with what He saw? Because remember, he is, he is God. This is supposed to be a, a symbol of the presence of God, the temple, a place of worship. And so was Jesus pleased with what He saw going on there? He was looking around at everything. Now, there was a lot going on. There was a lot of people, a lot of activity, a lot of religious pious things going on. It was an imposing facility and, an, and there was impressive activity. But was our Lord pleased by what He saw? In other words, is, is crowds and, and, and busyness, is that enough to please our Lord? We see here that the Religious pride that was taking place was only skin deep. It was a facade of true worship. Jesus inspects not just the activities and the size of the crowds and the impressive facilities, but Jesus pierces into the depths of the heart to ask, is worship truly taking place or not? the Lord's inspection, but also we see the Lord's intention. Verse 11, it says, he, After looking around at everything, the glory of the temple, it says, He left. He left for Bethany with the twelve since it was already late. Don't miss the irony in that statement. Jesus came into the temple, His Father's house, 
And then he left the temple to go reside somewhere else. Instead of staying where he rightfully belonged, he chose to exit that place and abide elsewhere. Why is that? It was an act of judgment on his part. Basically, his departure as God in the flesh was showing he was not pleased with the worship that was taking place there and the glory of the Lord as did in the Old Testament the glory of the Lord left the temple eastward as Ezekiel said towards the Mount of Olives and here all these people and all this activity did not please Jesus enough for his presence to remain there he turned his back on what was going on there after looking around at everything he left we're going to see through the next few verses he left in disgust and he left in anger I wonder I wonder when Jesus enters our church on Sundays and he looks around at everything does he choose to stay? Or does he depart and go elsewhere because it's too late? It's exactly what he was doing to the temple. When the Lord inspects the size of the crowd, sometimes we get so caught up in numbers. You know, we think a lot of people is a sign that, that God's favor is on us and and surely we need to praise God for more people coming and being active. And sometimes we mistake as Christians busyness for spirituality. We're doing a lot of things. Well, why are we doing them? What's our motive? The Lord comes, inspects our church, does He stay? You, the Holy, uh, as the Scripture says, are a temple of the Holy Spirit as a Christian. A temple of the Holy Spirit when Jesus comes and he inspects the inside of your heart when he looks around at everything not just the externals when Jesus looks at everything in the temple of your heart is he pleased? is he pleased? the Lord's intention in this specific text was to pass judgment on the false worship that was taking place there in the name of God. His inspection desires authenticity. This week we took our kids to school there at Calvary and dropped them off and as we were leaving this white car pulls into the parking lot and these two ladies get out and they're dressed in nice suits and got clipboards and Nancy says, ooh, they look official. And lo and behold, on the side of the door, there was the, the Commonwealth of Kentucky seal. And she says, ooh, the state's coming. They're, they're coming to do what? They're coming for inspection. You know, she, she worked in child care for several years, and she, she came to understand the, the look of the uh, inspectors and the intention of the inspectors. And they would always come to do a thorough job of looking things over, which we would hope they would do. 
in a situation where children are involved. It's not just schools, restaurants go through rigorous inspections, don't they? And aren't you glad they do that? <laughs> aren't you glad? You go to the restaurant and there you see the white paper on the, on the door there and it shows you the grade that they got and the things that were wrong and the things they need to improve. And We're glad an inspection takes place because the inspection means that when faults are detected, they can be corrected. This morning as Jesus has come and he's inspecting this house of worship, as Jesus is coming and inspecting your hearts, what kind of grade do you think we would get? What kind of grade would you receive? And as Jesus sheds lights on the, on the, the faults and the defects of your worship and your service, will you take the necessary steps to correct those things? Or you, will you turn a blind eye and say, all is well. Look how religious I am. Hey, I'm in church again. I put my tithe in the offering plate again. Uh, I'm singing as loud as I can sing. He must be pleased with me. Where's your heart? Where's your affection? Where's your allegiance? Are you obeying him? what he's calling you to do, the authenticity. Are you worshiping him in spirit and truth? You see, the disciples all throughout the gospel, they had a, a faulty understanding of Jesus, but yet their understanding, even though it was incomplete, it was growing. How's your understanding of Jesus? The crowds completely misunderstood him. They thought, conquering king, Messiah, going to the palace. No, he's going to the temple. I forget it. Not my agenda. I got other things I want Jesus to do, and if he ain't going to do them, then I don't need him. Insufficient devotion of the crowd. Yeah, they were excited. Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The garments, the palm branches, all the excitements. It left as quickly as it came. Is that true in your life and in this church? Folks, don't be satisfied with an incomplete understanding of Jesus. There's so much more to Him that you don't understand. Keep growing in your knowledge of Him and as your knowledge of Jesus grows, so will your devotion. So don't be satisfied with an incomplete knowledge and insufficient devotion. The final question is this. Are you a faithful follower or are you a fickle follower see the crowds they were fickle they, they had a misunderstanding of who Jesus was and when Jesus did not fulfill their expectations and their desires they bolted I tried this Jesus thing and it didn't quite work out for me I'm going to look elsewhere is that you when the going gets tough do you abandon him or are you faithful? He calls you to do specific things and you trust and you obey. You give Him your allegiance. You give Him your affection. You are full with authenticity and when He inspects you and you fall short, you confess that and you repent and you allow Him to give you clean hands and a pure heart. Are you faithful? Are you fickle? The crowds... They left him. And the crowds within five days 
went from exaltation to execution. Hosanna, crucify him. It's not what I want. Are you faithful? Or are you fickle? Let's pray. Father, as we read this account of Jesus coming to the Holy 